Welcome to Ben Navarra's podcast with your host, Ben Navarra's. It's the life to live, man. So if you're going to lean back, just make sure the guy stays at moderately close. I can always amplify and compress the audio. So if it does get too loud or not loud enough, then after the fact, I can also change that. Oh, that's a little more comfortable. Yeah. I'm trying to learn how to, I don't know, like make it so that it's still a natural or a normal conversation, you know? But right. It's also not, but it's not, but I want it to feel like it is. So yeah. it's having all that balance is just a tough thing. Like those really good podcasters, they've got their shit like set up in the whole room and like they're face to face right across. And so would you rather do face to face? Because I felt the reason that I did it angled like this was because um, there is a research study that said whenever you're talking, especially with other men, it's usually better to have somebody that's a little bit more angled off. And so this posture creates a body language that's more inviting. And so that, that was the, the that was the rationale. It's like if I can have us just a little bit more angled, mm-hmm. then it can ideally then you have a little bit more relaxed at the, the setting. Open space. Rather than head to head, let's talk, you know. Right. <laughs> uh, so I didn't I didn't necessarily want that. But we are who we are. Cheers. Cheers. I thought Topo Chico had alcohol in it. No alcohol. Do they? Do they have a version that has alcohol? Or is it yes, they drink? do. Oh. They just came out with a version that's a long ago that has alcohol in it. And it is, I mean, they're, they're good stuff for sure. But I like, Topo Chico probably has to be one of, the, I think the most popular, like seltzer, not, I mean, it's not, it's not a seltzer drink. It's like just carbonated water that's out there. Right. It's just so tasty and, and minerally and extremely carbohydrate or um, carbonated. It's just like, I would take this over the LaCroix any day. All day. Or like the, what's that other? It's also in a green bottle. Perrier. 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 Yeah. It sounds like it's like we're trying to, we're trying to do something here. Like, let's slow down a little bit. Like, we can just be regular people here. Oh, God. Well, Nathan, thank you for joining me today. Yeah. Also a fun fact that I learned, all the, the ticks, that's a fun, that's a, that's a, how people communicate has also been a fun way to like about this process going back listening to the audio and hearing little mouth sounds and things it's like how can I train myself to not have these mouth sounds or like the little tisks and things it's been fun uh, but thank you for coming on today uh, today's Sunday we are hanging out here at the house uh, thank you all for listening uh, tuning in having fun uh, Nathan and I know each other from the gym and I guess also through mutual friends it was kind of interesting meeting and then now we've been we've become pretty damn good friends i'd say um so it's been it's been a good time um nathan is where are you from nathan i grew up in oregon um but i've kind of been all over the place you know that um born in nebraska moved when i was two years old so i don't really count that then grew up in oregon from there i've also lived in utah lived in new york and now living here in texas kind of been on both coasts and now I'm in the middle. You've lived the life. You've traveled the life. <laughs> so how long did, did you live in Utah and then before you moved to New York? Utah, I was there for five years. It was all for my undergrad. Um, where, so where were, you, where were you raised? 
Raised in Oregon. Raised in Oregon. Yeah. And then moved to Utah. Yeah, for undergrad. So once I was 18, went to BYU for college. There for four and a half years. Did did an extra semester at the end, so it was five years total in Utah. And then moved from there, I think just five. But yeah, then from there to, to New York City. What a life. Yeah. I want to go back. I want to go to New York City. I want to visit one day. Would be the ideal. I know we've talked about that several times, but um, so I part of the part of what I want to make sure that we include in here is kind of your upbringing from your your religious background to now, because uh, I feel like it would be something that a lot of people can understand and relate with, or um, that are maybe going through that process of thinking um, for themselves a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so. Can you tell us about your religious background? Yeah. So, you know, if you know anything about BYU, that's the Mormon school. Um, so I grew up, grew up LDS, grew up Mormon. My entire family is still part of that religion. Um, that's a, it's a Christian faith, but it's very, they're pretty strict. You know, they, they got a little bit more rules. People don't drink coffee. They don't really drink tea. Um, obviously, you know, they don't do alcohol. They don't do cigarettes. Basically, no drugs of any kind. No coffee. No coffee. Yeah. That's insane. This coffee's really good. Very good. Right? <laughs> right? Like think like I didn't I did not drink coffee until I was in my twenties. Very first drink of coffee was in my twenties. Wild. Insane. Did I, you have coffee before you had alcohol? Or was it kind of like all the same time whenever you got out and I know we're kind of rushing through here, but when you left the the, the thing, um, did you start having That's a good question. I actually don't know if coffee came first or if alcohol came first. <laughs> Which seems crazy <laughs> that those two would be in the same category. But I know that the, the first day I drank alcohol was also the first day I smoked weed. Like that's, that's when I was just like, I'm done. Fuck it all. I'm, I'm going to do all the things that I've been curious about for 23 years and kind of see what this feels like. If I had to guess, coffee probably came first, you know, just as earlier on. Um, Going through school, I'd imagine, is is helpful to have some coffee. Right, or just like a sip of it or something. Although at BYU, they don't sell coffee because Mormons don't do it. So you can't find coffee anywhere on that campus. And even like just outside on the outskirts of campus, it's difficult to find. I feel like such a platonic item. What's the rationale behind something so small? Right. The, The theory, or at least like what we're told is that there's something in coffee that's not good for your stomach, which isn't not true. Like, it's not great for your stomach. It kind of isn't good for your stomach lining and and shit like that. Some people think it's the caffeine. So they'll also, they won't drink any caffeinated sodas or things like that. But that's not, like the church has come out and said, it's not the caffeine. Like, just stay clear of of coffee. And that's their definition of hot drinks. Mormons don't drink hot drinks. Like, hot chocolate's fine. It's not, it's not the that, hot. That one's okay. That one's but, okay. Right. So it's not hot drinks. It's not hot. Right, right. So, <laughs> But it is hot drinks. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, like, their definition of hot drinks is coffee and, like, black tea and certain other kinds of tea. Supposedly, Mormons can drink, like, herbal tea, and that's fine. But usually, they're just, like, the steer clear of tea, steer clear of coffee, period. And what happens if you do drink coffee or tea? Like, if you're in the religion and you drink the coffee or the tea, do you have to, like, is it Catholicism? You have to go and say, I'm sorry to the priest? Or is it kind of like, hey, don't do that again? It's a minor thing. I know people, like, my I've got siblings who are still in the church. They still go on Sundays and whatnot, and they drink coffee. So it's not, like, a huge deal. You know, there's definitely... 
degrees, you know, in terms of what Mormons consider sins, and that's going to be closer to the bottom. Like, it's not going to dictate your level of worthiness, you know, like the the church, you have to be a certain level of obedient and worthy in order to like go to the, the Mormon temples and do things like that. Drinking coffee is not going to prevent you from going to do that. So then I have the rule. I don't know. I just, once I started to really objectively look at these things and be like, I'm not going to just accept because whenever you have confusion, you know, within any really religion, especially in Mormons, uh, they would just tell you to, to, to put that thought on the shelf, put that doubt on the shelf in your brain, you know, just put it on the shelf, leave it there. Don't delve into it. Don't try to think too hard into these things. Just let, let the doubt exist for itself, but don't let it like, I, 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 again, it, it's really hard to go back and like get myself into that mind state again, just because I'm so far removed from it. Cause now it's like, if I've got a doubt, I'm going to, I'm going to dive all full, full in. I'm going to try to figure out why this doesn't make sense. Because when I got doubts, things aren't clicking right up in the head. And either you figure out that you were wrong or that you were, you know, there's a reason for that doubt. And you either understand, you get to learn more about something and there's a rationale there or like my thought process is wrong and this is why this is real. Right. Either way, you get something out of it versus just, just let's just not think about it. Just Just, just, just don't entertain it. It's fine. Just leave it up there. Just leave it. And what do you do with all these? What's the, like? Does everybody just leave these things up there? I would imagine that creates a lot of angst within the community. I mean, there there is, but I honestly think, because looking back, I think that you do it so frequently and so fluidly. At least when you're raised within the religion, but that was the case for me being raised in it. That like my mind is split into two different. It's, it's literally split in half. There's my religious brain, and then there's my normal thinking medical brain. You know that I use for school and other things where I'm like. If it doesn't make sense, I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to do that and this and the other. But then when it came to the religion, it's a completely different ballgame. First, you know, we don't, you don't really realize it, but the rules are completely different. Like you got, you got doubts. Don't really worry about it. Have faith, have faith that everything's going to work out. And like, it's not, it's not bad. You know, in, in the grand scheme of things, I think that a lot of religious folks are looking for good things and they do good things and they're nice people. Mormons are very kind and nice people. And like, I don't want to talk shit about the people themselves because they, if they're raised in it, like me, they don't know any different, you know, and, and I can't really look back and blame anybody for, for just being raised and, and feeling the way that they feel. Um, but looking back on it, I mean, like, like there, there's just so many little things that don't make sense. The, the coffee, for one, Mormons are, there's a significant, this isn't just Mormons, you know, Catholics and other religions too, a lot of shame around masturbation, having premarital sex, uh, at what age it's appropriate to start dating, you know, all these other things. And it's like, these are such human experiences that are, in my mind, normal. Can they be powerful experiences, things that maybe you need to like be cautious about or aware of, of what's going on. Like, like you shouldn't just fuck around with alcohol. That's a powerful thing that could really ruin your life. Same with the other things, you know, they're, they're powerful. That doesn't mean you just got to all out avoid them, you know, learn about them, figure out your own bodies, like a way you can manage alcohol or coffee or weed or whatever else. And then you can kind of dictate and manage your own self rather than just completely like, yeah, that thing's pretty powerful. I'm just going to avoid it. 
entirely. Learning and understanding your own limits through trial and, and I mean, uh, error, but hopefully that error is in a safe place. You know, ideally it's at home or whatever with friends or a safe group of people and not everybody have that, has that opportunity. Yeah. So I, like I get the abstinence from, from alcohol. Cause it's like, Oh no, we're going to like, if we had a couple bad experiences and so now every, nobody's allowed to, you know, I'm just right. going to get rid of it entirely. Right. But at the same time, it, just because a couple of bad eggs or bad experiences doesn't mean that all experiences are going to be un, un, unhinged. Right. And I've had experiences that were unhinged from alcohol, you know, the kinds of things that I was warned about and I was like, okay, yeah, but that was too far. Went too far in that experience. I could have done without doing that. I'm still alive still okay you know and I can learn from those things and I've learned how to better manage my life in such a way like I I don't drink every single day you know that's not a thing for me where it's every single day I gotta consume alcohol not a big thing I do for when I'm just chilling by myself uh, but for like social and whatnot like it, it's I enjoy it it's a good time you know I'm not 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 trying to get crazy depends on the night <laughs> but like <laughs> it depends on the night for sure and I think it I mean our society is built so tightly around it. Like it's involved in so many different parts. Like if, if you want to go out, then there's alcohol involved. Yeah. It's just part of it. And I think there's, it, it makes it really difficult uh, for people who make, who do struggle with it. And I think that at that point, abstinence is the, the right thing for that person. Otherwise they get, if you know, if you know you're going to get yourself in trouble, they just might as well just steer away from it. But yeah. if, if you can just understand, think and, and step away, then do, do your thing, you know? Yeah. Like one thing I really love about, Kind of the approach I see people kind of changing towards it. Um, like like my sister, for example, she's been sober for, for X number of years. Most people who are like respectable drinkers or whatever, they're not going to give her any shit for that. You know, she says, I don't drink. I'm sober for that. Oh, great. That's that's fucking awesome. You know, like there's there's not an expectation. I think it has been that way in the past that you don't drink. Like there's got to be something wrong with you. It's like, no, I was an alcoholic. I am an alcoholic. It was ruining my life. So I don't drink anymore. You know, and there's... She learned that through those experiences, which I think is really cool. So at what point did you start thinking, maybe I should, maybe these doubts are things that I should be more interested in or, or start Look diving into? into? Yeah. It, I mean, there's never really like a moment, boom, that was the, the exact second. I would say if there was one of those, that would be that day when I drank alcohol and smoked weed in the same day. But there was a lot of buildup up until that moment. Um, so I was with my ex-wife at the time um, and that, that's also part of what led into me leaving was relationship troubles and kind of seeing how the relationship changed because uh, she was not Mormon she got baptized or I actually I baptized her into the Mormon church right before our wedding like a week before our wedding so I baptized her then we got married then a year later we did the Mormon marriage because you had to like have a little waiting period and before we could do the Mormon marriage thing. What does that mean? What, what is a Mormon marriage versus a, because like, describe that process, please. Cause yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that she wasn't Mormon. I thought she was. She, I mean, she only was for a brief time, you know, she was, she grew up Christian. So we had similar faith beliefs. There's the whole Jesus thing, the whole same shame around sex kind of stuff, which is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> we really want to make sure that that's bullshit. Yeah. Be okay with having sex. It's fine. <laughs> right. Right. Cause I mean, we did that. We started dating in high school, like age 17. It was when we had sex consensually and we both were just racked with guilt. Absolutely devastated. Well, like 
kept wanting to come back and do it again and do it. Of course. Like, this is a normal release of dopamine. It feels nice. Right. Like, human being, the only reason we're all here is because people have decided to have sex. Like, that's the only reason that any of us exist. So, why do we have so much shame about it? Anyway, so yeah, we felt all that shame, went to my bishop, confessed my sins, did all that shit. Uh, They make me or made you like stop because Mormons take sacrament. You know how in Catholicism, they drink the blood of Christ and eat the same thing with water and bread. Uh, So for like a year, they told me, don't, don't partake anymore. You're going to, that was like your ostracized kind of, because it's also a public thing. Like when you're taking that sacrament, this is in the chapel, people are around and you're not supposed to be like looking, but people can like see that you're not taking it. Just passing the tray to the next person. And it's like, this is public shame. That is public shaming. That's in, that's intense. Yeah. Like why isn't and then the questions, well, why isn't why isn't why Nathan, Nathan taking the sacrament? Why is he doing what did he do? What did happen? Exactly. It just starts with rumors. And nobody will come and ask. And it's like, again, I didn't rape her. This was consensual sex. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Stuff's fucking crazy. For an entire year. An entire year. For me, not not to partake of the sacrament. At that point, was it were you like the first person that you knew that was not allowed to take the sacrament for whatever reason? No, no. I mean, I, we had seen other things happen. Even my my oldest sister, um, her and her now husband had sex outside of marriage, and she got pregnant, and that's why they are now married and have a family. So, but she was off in college, so I didn't get to like witness her not taking the sacrament. But you know, same same kind of deal where she had to take a step back from partaking for, for some time and then she could rejoin the congregation later once she was holy again or whatever. <laughs> uh, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So the, um, so then, uh, we're talking about the, the Mormon marriage. Yes, yes. Yes. So Cassandra for our first year of school actually went to two different schools. So I went to BYU in Utah and she went to Pacific Lutheran university in Washington. So we were doing long distance for, for that first year of school. Um, after that, she transferred from Pacific Lutheran down to BYU. So we, she was able to be in the same school as me. And that's why I was actually in Utah for five years because she had to finish up her full four years there and I already did one. Um, but yeah, so she came down to BYU. She was there for one year after being in that It's a very tight environment. Like you imagine Mormons are very intense. You take all of these college kids, put them in one town, like all of the cultural elements that come out in their religion that aren't necessarily like part of the doctrine or part of the scriptures, you know, they have their own culture. It just reaches a peak in this, this little bubble town. Can't escape it. Like the coffee thing. You can't find coffee anywhere. Even if you're around a bunch of Mormons in say Idaho or Las Vegas, places where there's also a lot of Mormons, you can find coffee and other normal shit around there. Not in, not in Provo. It's, it's, it's a different, different field, different city. So anyway, after being there for a year, that's when she was like, I need to be part of this because she was not really part of that, that group, right? She didn't really quite mesh into what everybody else was. Lots of pressure to finally join. So then she told me, hey, well, I, I want to be baptized. And of course, I'm ecstatic in my mind because I'm part of the church still. And I'm like, oh, finally, you know, and things are coming together. Um, baptize her, just do a civil wedding, you know, a week later, like you normally would, would think we some church somewhere, have a reception afterward. And then, yeah, uh, a year later, cause she needed to be a member for one year before we're allowed to go to the temple. That's where the Mormon, there's like more advanced Mormon ceremonies that go on in there. And, and I'll show you that show banner of heaven because they show, they show some of the ceremonies and, and kind of the stuff that goes on in that temple and they are accurate. Like, 
100% accurate. It's weird. The shit that goes on in there. Are the, are, are people who are not part of the church supposed to not know about? Yeah. It's supposed to be hell, pretty secret. They say sacred. I, I don't, I don't like that differentiation where it's like, I understand sacredness and like you, you might want to like it for, for real things, you know, like I watched a documentary about peyote, you know, and, and for that native American culture, the consumption of peyote was a sacred thing. Like they would get into their teepee or whatever and all gather around and it was like a big time ritual. And I'm, in my mind, that's a little bit different because something is literally happening. You take peyote, it's a psychedelic. You're actually going to kind of trip for a little bit. And that's kind of how I feel about, say, like psilocybin and much other things. Like those are sacred experiences for me. So I can understand sacredness when it's just like we're just doing shit behind closed doors and not telling anybody what we're doing. That's just secrets. You know, like there's nothing literally going on inside there. No one's having an experience other than a self-created moment. Like, then they're beautiful inside the buildings. Beautiful, weird ceremonies meant to kind of stir up certain emotions. But at the same time, it's just like we're doing handshakes and saying things. And like, there's nothing actually going on up here to make me like, have an experience it sounds like a masonic league like it, it, like the the same like the same the handshakes the intensity and everything that's secret about it it's just and I, I thought it was fairly an open community for the most part yeah. so if, if i was i'm not mormon if how would i be if i wanted if i was interested in becoming a mormon is it a difficult process to become part of the church i mean difficult depending on your what you're okay with you know honestly you could go and you could just lie to the, the bishop person be like yeah I don't do this don't do that do whatever get baptized a year later just keep lying about not doing those things and you could get let in okay. in theory right but uh, you know I wouldn't do it but you know <laughs> no, no. yeah so you'd have to like do the lessons get baptized pay your 10% in tithing that's the one thing they can actually track whether or not you're you're paying your tithing so if you're not current in your tithing then you're not going to get the temple recommend so there's a little bit of money that they don't really talk about but do they how do they know that my my, my like my five percent is not ten percent or my ten percent is not five true true but if you haven't paid anything in tithing they're going to be like you have made zero you've made a hundred dollars right and you have a really nice car what's 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 right. going on here right I don't think, right we paid us ten dollars in tithing uh <laughs> we're going to call you on that one but you know it's not like they have access to your actual bank accounts or bank statements to be like oh no this is this is nine percent you know, okay. they're, they're not, they're not that in depth, but if you're not paying anything in tithing, then, then you're probably not going to get that, that, that recommend. And what, what, uh, what happens if I'm not, if I'm not paying that I, I don't become worthy, holy? I, I mean, I guess, I mean, you're still going to be like part of the church if you were baptized and in it and whatnot. And they, they would actually still consider me part of the church, even though I don't go, like they still have a record of me. Like I've got a, a number and other shit. I could have my records removed if I wanted to. I, it's, I don't really care to go through that process. Um, is it a tough process or is it like a, a process that you're... I don't think so. I, I, I think it's just getting a bishop or somebody and, and just being like, I want my records removed and filling out some paperwork. But ultimately, it's because having my name removed from there is like a neutral experience for me. Like that's not going to really change my life at all. That would be a very negative experience for my parents or other people in my family. So it's like I don't I don't need to hurt them for no benefit for me. Now the church has gotten a little bit more. Actually, they haven't gotten any more extreme. They've been the same extreme. I've just moved further <laughs> towards the, <laughs> the other side. 
like the further away I get, the more and more I consider wanting my name removed where it's like, man, I don't want my name associated with this entity because of all the shitty things that they're doing, you know, or the shitty things that they're allowing to continue to happen and, and not change and stuff like that. Um, but ultimately still where it is currently, I'm like, eh, maybe slightly a positive experience for me, heavily negative for them. If I weigh out both sides, eh, I care about my parents. They can, they can rest easier yeah. knowing that there's some numbers your <laughs> next name is to still- my name. Cause that's what Jesus is going to do. Oh, your name, your name is on the list. You're in. You're in. <laughs> I'm taking you now. If you, if, but if you took it off and you would have oh, got Oh man. Me. Imagine if I erased my name. He's like, you're going to hell, bro. <laughs> that's okay. all it takes. So she gets, um, baptized. Yes. And then you guys wait a year and you guys are doing the, is it like a several day thing? Like I Indian weddings are, are like that. Or is it just like one day? One day. Like, okay. Um, and then, is she excited? Like, is she expressing excitement about the, this, the, the situation or is it? I mean, excitement to some degree. It's like excitement for everybody in my family is very excited about it. You know, so you're going to get some of that like excitement off of the other people. Ultimately, it didn't really change a whole lot for us. You know, nothing really changed, especially because like, actually, no, it was after, yeah, after the ceiling is when I got to see more changes with with her um, having to be within the religion because after going through the temple there's like you take extra covenants you know you're you're making more deals with god or whatever what is what is that like what, what do you mean like, like is it going to extra events and things or so wait, mormons believe in you know everybody heaven and hell mormon heaven has multiple like levels yeah so there's the celestial kingdom the terrestrial kingdom and the telestial kingdom and all of those are considered heaven right so if you want to reach the highest of the highest, then you need to get more of these covenants done. What? Right? Yeah. I don't mind that concept of having like a tiered level or like, because the way that they do it, it's like everybody's going to go to heaven, essentially, is, is their idea. But that lowest, the celestial, terrestrial, telestial, that, that lowest one, their, their comparison is like, it'll basically be earth. How we exist right now is what the telestial kingdom would be. And I'm like, great. Put me in there. That's fine. <laughs> Um, like, like the only people who go to hell and Mormons call it outer darkness, um, are people who have basically seen God and then denied it. So say if Moses actually saw God in that burning bush and then later on he was like, nah, that, that shit didn't happen. Then he'd be in outer darkness, denying God when you had undeniable evidence that God exists. And most people, according to Mormonism, can't even, you can't even achieve hell because no one has seeing God, you know? So I'm like, okay, cool. You're always winning. We're, right. <laughs> Doesn't seem so bad. I mean, no, this no. is okay. <laughs> but yeah, so, and then, and then if you get like really deep into Mormon religion, they'll even further break down like the celestial kingdom has levels to it as well and, and other shit. Like they, they can get pretty deep into it. And that's what those other covenants are for, where you're promising whatever you know, to, to be obedient. So any part, part of the, the covenant that you take after going through the Mormon temple is then you wear the Mormon underwear, the, the special underwear that's, they call it garments. Uh, it's, it's not too bad for men, honestly, because it's like boxer briefs and a undershirt, right? It's the exact same thing for women. So imagine trying to dress yourself as a female. Everything has to be a cap shoulder, you know, because you have sleeves now that you've got to cover and the, the underwear go 
you know, just a few inches above your knee. So again, you're, you're not wearing normal skirts or anything like that anymore. So for me, it wasn't a huge change, you know, clothing wise. And I, that is a form of self-expression for her. She could no longer dress the way that she wanted to and like express herself through that because she had these articles of clothing that she was supposed to be keeping covered. Um, and they have little symbols on them. Like there's little symbols on the nipples and on the belly button and like on the knee, they're supposed to represent things. Um, and yeah, like, do you know what those things are supposed to represent or are those oh, things that like allowed to be shared or not so much? I don't give a fuck if they're allowed to be shared or not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't really remember what they were. I mean, to some degree, I think they were sensible. The, the knee one, I think, was like represent that you were going to bow, kneel, whatever, to, to praise God, whatever. That's the, the knee one. The belly button was like about nourishment. Like you're going to receive nourishment from God's teachings. And the areola ones, I, I don't remember what those were. Uh, yeah, one of them's like a little L. The other one's like a little T. Another one's like a different shape. The knee one was just like a little line, just like stitched into it. It's literally nothing. It's just stitching. But, you know, they, they make it into this like really big thing. It's and crazy how as humans, how many people can be, become, they, they attribute so much feeling to those little minute things that are created by man. Yeah. Yeah. And like the only times that you're not supposed to wear your garments for Mormons is like when you're swimming, when you're showering or when you're having sex. The three S's. Those were what they told me. <laughs> the three <laughs> The S's. three S's are the only times when you're not supposed to be in your garments. I was like, this is fucking crazy. You need you want to be in that all the time. So you're wearing underwear underneath that underwear? Like is it, no, it a double layer? That replaces is your boxers. Like replaces your boxers. I wasn't wearing an undershirt at the time, so then I started to wear an undershirt, which was the garment. And they were like, they're completely white. They got a bunch of different materials. You can get them like silk or cotton or Under Armour style. They got a bunch of different styles. And you go to their, the Deseret Industries, the DI is what they call it. And that's where you can buy a bunch of Mormon stuff. And that's where you can buy all of the, the garments. So it's a, it's a little bit of an industry. I mean, they're not. I was going to say, I mean, you have guaranteed profit. Yeah. I mean, they're not expensive. I think they're like three to five bucks a pop. Maybe, but still, a couple still. cents to make. Right, right. I, I, they're not like fancy. You know, it's not like it was like Under Armour, like tight compression, like a nice one that's like thick. They do have like Under Armour style, but it's not not the same. It's still five dollar Under Armour. Right, right, <laughs> right. Crazy. It is pretty crazy. I think it's it's wild to. I mean, I'm. I didn't know that there was this much. I didn't even know Mormon was a. A Christian religion. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know because who's the guy that made the thing? Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith. I thought Joseph Smith was the the Jesus in Mormonism. Yeah, a lot of people think that, and it's not it's not totally off. You know, Mormons get pretty offended um, when you make the implication that they praise Joseph Smith. You know, because they they don't in theory, but there's also a hymn called "Praise to the Man." It's about Joseph Smith. And this praise to the man who communed with Jehovah. Jesus anointed this prophet and seer. It's all about him. And it keeps going on and on and on. And like, we're singing the song to this man who raped children. And that's like, that's a, a known fact among the church. And they just bypass it. They don't bypass it. They say it was a different time. Is Joseph Smith the same FLDS 
and LDS or are those two are those two different? They're different currently. The FLDS, they basically they're kind of like uh, analogous to like a constitutionalist. So we have the constitution right, and those people who just take that and that is it, run it to the extreme. Like they they praise George Washington and these founders, and they're not incorrect about the way that you know the United States was founded and the way, but they're just interpreting just that document, just that whatever for exactly what it was. So the FLDS basically take all of Joseph Smith's teachings, Brigham Young's, and like maybe two or three other prophets from from back in the day, and just those teachings. Once oh, I think it was one of the prophets at some point had to do away with polygamy. That's basically was their cutoff point. Anything from that prophet on, the FLDS ignores. So then they just have their fundamental, that's what it is, fundamentalist Latter-day Saints. So they still do the polygamy and they still do all of those like OG pioneer. But the LDS also still follows Joseph Smith. They do, but they follow the current prophets. And so some things have been like redacted or changed. So they don't do polygamy anymore. Um, I mean, that's, that's like the big one that, that people will glob onto. Uh, black people can have the priesthood now. That was a, a thing as well. But the FLDS is still that way. Like I'm pretty sure black people cannot have priesthood in the FLDS if they're even allowed to be part of that church. Um, so yeah, like the LDS is more modern, but the FLDS is the, the more extreme OG. But if you wanted to know like what Joseph Smith's teachings were like, go look at the FLDS and you're like, this shit's crazy. And you're like, that's what, that's what his teachings were. <laughs> like you have a current example alive, growing, still existing right now. Watch that keep sweet, pray and obey show. Like that is them. Um, and that is what Joseph Smith was teaching and yet they still praise to the man <laughs> it's so blind it is so i, I just don't so understand blind. yeah and in, in, when you're in the middle of of being in the religion on the lds side do you is there a negative view of the flds mm -hmm. yeah they don't they don't like they don't like to be associated with it they don't like how people assume that all lds are polygamous and they're like oh it's just the flds that perpetuate that that you know thought process and and I, I too shared those same thoughts like when I was at BYU because you're just driving along the highways and you could look off to the side and you could see some of these FLDS compounds, you know, and it was just there. Um, compounds of religion. Like, it's just like that alone is, is a weird concept. Yeah. Like there's just big ass building and you're just like, yeah, that's, that's one of like the FLDS things. And, uh, who knows? There might be some people down there. There might be some kids. Who knows that are, that are being raised in this crazy ass religion. Marrying and having sex with fourteen-year-old girls, year old children, with seventy-plus-year-old men doesn't matter if they're seventy. Thirty-plus is inappropriate. An adult man with a four period, not okay. I remember one of the scenes from Eat, eat Sweet, Eat Keep Sweet, Keep pray. Sweet, Pray and Obey. I always go Eat Sweet. I don't know. <laughs> I like food. Uh, keep Sweet, Pray and Obey. One of the scenes was this lady who was fourteen years old gets married to. A, a, the current prophet yeah the, that current guy and she he was much older and she knew if she massaged his feet that she would fall that he would fall asleep yeah. and that she didn't have to have sex with him that night yeah. and I was like what like how traumatic for a 14 year old girl to just to be in that situation and have to get to the point where she's just I hope this guy gets fucking falls asleep otherwise I have to sleep with this guy and this is her first experience with sex that is that is your introduction into the sexual world 
Like, already very difficult world to be in. Right. You're just going to make it that much more difficult. Right. Absolutely insane. And, yeah, Mormons, like, they know that one of his wives, Joseph Smith, one of his wives was, I think, 13 years old. Like, the verse said, uh, approaching her 14th birthday or something like that, 13, 14 years old. And he was, at the time, almost 30, you know, my age. And, again, their excuse is like, oh, it's a different time, different time. It's like, okay, so was that happening all the time then? In the 1830s, were 14-year-olds and 30-year-olds just getting married? Uh, no, that's why mobs were after Joseph Smith. People wanted to kill him because he was raping their kids, raping their daughters. Like, like the, the fact that you're going to use the time era as an excuse, but then also ignore the fact that in that time, people hated Joseph Smith and wanted to kill him. It's like, clearly you're, you're not using that logic all the way to it. You know, if you want to say back in the, I don't even know how far back you got to go, BC time when you're trading women for property, maybe you can say different time, you know, that's literally thousands of years ago. We're, we're talking 200 years ago. And like I said, the people there clearly weren't okay with it because they were constantly being chased out of town by mobs. So, and then the, the Your Mormon, argument is invalid. Right. And the Mormon excuse is just like, Oh, well, God's word will never be accepted. You know, there'll always be mobs after, after truth. You can't, you can't get through. You cannot break through, which is true. They're not. I mean, they're not wrong, right? They're you're gonna. You're gonna. You're always things. gonna have people who are against the against the opinion, against the view that it's gonna. Have, somebody's gonna have a different view than you, and it's like just no. What we're doing is right. Just don't worry about the fact that they don't like that we're raping thirteen year old girl, fourteen year old girls. It's just they just don't understand. Right. Yeah. And like I understand that you can have any view anywhere. Someone will be able to have an opposing view. Like it doesn't matter. Just the fact that somebody's opposing you is a shitty reason to like revalidate your, they don't, they're, they're opposing us. So we must be doing right. We must do the right thing. It's like, um, maybe, maybe you should actually look at what you're doing and, and objectively see it. And then we'll go from there, you know, or maybe, maybe they're pointing at your shit and be like, that's wrong. And maybe you should be like, actually, maybe they got a point. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Maybe they're right. Maybe we shouldn't be raping children. <laughs> maybe, just maybe. Maybe. Maybe they, got, maybe they had something going on here. I just, I mean, I was raised Catholic, and it seems like there's some similar, similarities in, the, in just like, except the way that this just kind of works here now. Yeah. Uh, but I, for whatever reason, felt like there was just, uh, there was always a little bit of a disconnect. Even in seventh grade, I was just like, fucking church. I mean, are, are we, are we, are we, I swear to God, we have to do this again. I'm missing football. It's Sunday. The Cowboys are playing at noon. What are we doing here? Like, what? Like, why? Did, did you have those same feelings? For sure. For sure. And this was pre-smartphone, so we're not pulling out our phone, checking the scores at church, you know? we got to sit there and just be like, man, I wonder what's going on in some fucking television. Like, I have no idea. There's no current live updates. Mormon church is three hours long. They, 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 what do you do for three fucking hours? Yeah. So the, the first hour, usually some, some of them are set up a little bit differently. The first hour is usually what they call the sacrament meeting. So that would be equivalent of like a Catholic mass. Um, so you have the whole congregations together. A couple people from the congregation will speak. So it's not always the, the bishop or the pastor. Uh, Mormons will actually pull people from the congregation to give the talks. Um, so that's that first hour at the same time you also do the sacrament then you split off into like your age group kind of a thing so like the little kids will go off with the little kids 
then they, they divide up, you know, like the 13 to 15 year old boys, the 15 to 17 year old boys, and you kind of have your own classes. Um, so it's all, it's separated by age and gender, I think for the second hour. And then for the third hour, they like combine, um, the, the two genders of that age group and you, again, so you just have two more hours of, of lessons. I think that's actually changed since I left. I think it's only two hours now because they realized that us millennials were like, fuck this. <laughs> so they're like, we're losing people. Take off an hour. <laughs> and, and I guess people really like it a lot more. So they just have that first hour of sacrament meeting and the second hour of like the combined age group, whatever lesson. So it's only two hours now. Do, Still. Do you guys have two different books? I mean, it, right? It's a, the Bible and then Joseph Smith has his own thing. Book of Mormon. The yeah. Book of Mormon. Yeah. There, there's multiple books actually. So there's the Bible, which, you know, has the Old and the New Testament. Mormons have both. They use the King James Version. And there's the Book of Mormon. And then there's the Doctrine and Covenants. Um, and that one is like current. Current. Like that. Those are the ones where like Joseph Smith or other prophets wrote it down. And that's like what their actual writings were. The Book of Mormon is supposedly what Joseph Smith translated off of the, the golden plates that he dug up in his backyard. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. So he... It's when did when did the uh, the religion religion born when when, when did it birth you know eighteen eighteen thirty ish so yeah yeah eighteen thirty ish the story is yeah basically Joseph Smith was poking around a whole bunch of different religions in his town in his area looking for the truth prayed to God you know I can't find the truth I, I don't know what what is the truth. Um, and, and some, and an angel showed up, uh, the angel Moroni told them to go dig a hole on a hill and, and where, and he showed them where to dig. He dug a little bit and he finds these golden plates that have a record on them written in like ancient, uh, I don't know, some Arabic language or some shit. I don't know. So, <laughs> or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> Doesn't look better. Yeah, Whatever. Yeah. And, and in theory, the church has these golden plates or like they have them in a vault somewhere like the Mormons they're pretty intense they have like bomb proof vaults in the mountains in Utah collecting like their records and other shit like I'm pretty sure I don't know what agency in the government or, or something but like they will ask the LDS church for advice about like bomb proofing and like how do you build this thing to be like nuclear safe like they're almost paranoid uh, almost almost in theory, I think that we have the gold plates. Either that or Mormons believe that they were ascended into heaven, so we don't have them anymore. Oh, no. That would they're be, gone. It would be too convenient if we could just be like, look, they're here. Look at them. We right. literally have them. Of course, that's, that's not the way that <laughs> it actually is. <laughs> um, but the story's pretty funny, too. Like, uh, the way that he translated them, because obviously he couldn't read it or speak the language, was that he had, like, a, a top hat or something with like a stone in it maybe and he would put his face into the top hat and and it, it, this wasn't like on top of the the plate i don't think either it was just like in there and then he would like it would transcribe and he would just audit you know just say what was it and then emma his wife or somebody else would write down the translations as he translated the book with this top hat and like this this sounds like a magician about to like pull a rabbit out of hat. Like this is hilarious. This is insane. Like <laughs> imagine any other human now trying to say this to anybody right? else. No, 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 guys. Like if I just, I, I promise, I found some shit in the back, and I just I fucking put my head inside of the hat, and I just I understand this random language, and I can read it, and I can tell you what it is. Like, dude, what did you take? And do you have some? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I mean, he must have been 
insane to in some degree or just manipulative. I mean, one of the two. I mean, either he really believed it and he was just insane and like having he was schizophrenic and having experiences or he just knew, oh, I can just create an entire mob of people that can follow anything and everything I'll say if I say it's from God. He was a known con man in the era. Like people knew him for kind of running schemes and, and, and doing things. He was a little bit of like a schemer. And it is, that might be hearsay history, you know, like you're kind of reading books from the 1830s. Who knows how accurate this shit is. But like that was one of the things that he was supposed to be known for. When did he start and the like, religion? Like as like, what is he older, like in his 40s, 30s? No, no, no. So when he dug that shit up, it was when he was in his teenage years. Damn, yeah. what a young dude. Right? Yeah. So then he he marries Emma, who was his the wife at the time, who, you know, girl who was helping him translate. And then later on, he has the vision about polygamy, you know, about how you need to have multiple wives, at least three to be in that celestial kingdom, right? Like some wild shit. And then if you read some of Emma's history, because she wrote books too, and she was not his biggest fan at all times. That's cool. Yeah. And so there's some pretty real history there. She uh, apparently came to him and she's like, okay, well, if, if you're going to have more than one, you know, maybe, maybe I will too. You know, immediately he has a vision. Emma will cleave onto Joseph Smith as her husband, as her one and only, you know, like some shit like that. And it's just like, how convenient, yeah, right? How convenient for you to, to set this up. And, you know, her, she obviously believes the Book of Mormon, all the shit that he's told her. So she has to fall in line. And it's just like, you read some of the stories, like she caught him fucking these other women some of which were or were not his wife at the time. And then he got, he had the vision about the polygamy, you know, it's like, okay, no, 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 no. I actually need to do this. It's for our salvation. You know, it's like, what fuck you got caught? Yeah. Like you got caught in the barn, fucking that 14 year old child. And, and now you got to weasel your way out of it. And he managed to do so. Babe, I'm sorry. I, I just, I, I have to, right? I mean, do, do you want me to be in the celestial? You want to be there with me, right? Like I'm going to take us, I'm going to take us there. You, just, like, you have you, to let me fuck as many girls as I want. And he had a dozen, 20 plus, something crazy. Those other, the other earlier prophets like Brigham Young, the founder of my old university, at least 25 wives, you know, if not more. Like, what do you do with 25 wives? Like, wh- why? What? I don't understand. I, I don't know. And they're fully committed. These, at least from the from the the documentary that the uh, the keep sweet. Yeah, they are in. committed to these men. Yeah, and you have a couple of them that ended up leaving, and there were fourteen that got right through. We have that, that that experience, but a lot of these girls are just so about it. Yeah, I don't get it. And a lot of them were you're you're raised in it, so you literally don't know anything Any else. Different. Yeah, and like the I the fortunate fortunate part for, for Mormons for that LDS church was that as they moved from, cause he, he lived in New York, Palmyra, New York, moved from there to Utah along that, that journey, they kept getting chased out of town, right? Cause mobs were coming after them cause they kept raping their children. <laughs> um, who would have guessed they would have guessed. There. They're so mad. <laughs> like, so he gets killed. He gets killed in prison. Joseph Smith does in, is that in Missouri? That doesn't matter. Somewhere along the way, he gets killed. So now it's not just Joseph Smith. He's a martyr. He died for this purpose. And, and like there's, I don't remember if it was a book or a documentary or something like if you want to create a religion that's going to stick or something like that, you need a martyr. 
You need them to die for that cause. Jesus. Christianity, Jesus, right? Jesus died. And that's why Christianity is boom, is what it is. Joseph Smith died. So people are like, he died for this. He died for that, that truth in this moment. You know, he was shot in the chest multiple times. And I'm like, good. <laughs> somebody did somebody some, some justice. Right, man. right. But unfortunately, then the reins get passed to Brigham Young, who's more or less the exact same, if not worse, you know, and then it goes to the next guy and the next guy. And the reason that they were running to the West to settle these cities was to get away from the U.S. government. The government was after them because of the raping of children and probably taxes and other shit, you know, they're trying to get away with by being a religion and everything. Like they were trying to run away from the government. Don't blame them for that. I don't like the government either, but like, it's not, it's not like a holy cause, you know? Is that rationale? Like, is that talked about? Like, do, do, do we, do they tell people, oh, it was because of, kind of, we're trying to get away from the government? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's one story of the pioneers to your health. Actually, I'm going to go take a bathroom break real quick. Right. Um, but yeah, All right. I'll bring that one up in a sec. You okay? So we were going to talk about, there was, I don't remember what led to this, but this was another story from those, those original pioneers. I think it was like the Brigham Young time. This one came up actually in the banner of heaven show. Um, cause they were, they were trying to settle the area and they got wind of some other like wagon train coming up behind them. For some reason, they might have thought that it was like a threat or that this was like the government sending an army after them to, to kill him or whatever the hell. Um, so anyway, the, the Mormon settlers there, they like worked with the local Native American tribe, um, whoever happened to be there, to go to this wagon train and like take them out. Right? They were going to go kill them all. So anyway, they get there and the Mormons weren't doing anything. They were just letting the Native American on their horseback, whatever, go in and, and kill these people. And the Native Americans, they figured it out. They were like... We're, we're not going to just do your dirty work, right, while we're here. So I think they bounced. Um, and then I don't know if the Mormons finished it off or if they came back later dressed as Indians, as Native Americans, to finish it off, right? So that they wouldn't get any blame. So all of it would get dumped on this particular tribe and killed the entire wagon train. Women, children, men, not an army. Just eliminated all of these people. And that's not talked about in the Mormon church, obviously, but like that you can find the information, especially if you look through like native American history. Cause the, uh, at least in that show, the way they depict it is the, um, the, the, the Mormon cop guy who's like going through his crisis of faith. Um, his partner is a native American and he's, and they, they talk about that story and he was like, your, your Mormon history is very different from the history that I heard from my grandfather. And then he goes into the spiel, like, this is what happened, according to my grandfather, who was the chief, the one who was, like, working with the, the, the Mormon leaders that were for that group. And they were like, they, they fucking lied to you, basically. And they slaughtered all of those people for no reason. And, like, those, those are the types of people that were the pioneers that settled. Like, there's, there's a very bloody history for most religions, but, you know, Mormons are not excluded from that that like nasty history i feel like that's never talked about i mean i've like that part of history about religious history is never right or rarely talked about it's like there's how many people have died because of catholicism and religion in general but i I think like catholicism because i think that's one that's like we are yeah like it's like it's in the states it's the predominant religion christianity Mm -hmm. is a predominant religion religion and like that 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 church 
is just been part of so many wars. Right. And you go, when we went to a place in, in New Orleans, we went to a, a cathedral and painted on the, the, the ceilings and the walls what were people in, in gear, like in military uniform and armor. Yeah. And it's like, that is a, a, a nasty piece of, of religion that is rarely ever referenced. It's like, no, we're just here to love each other. But by the way, we're also going to kill anybody that doesn't agree. Yeah. And like, I, I think that a significant portion or like the majority of wars, there's a large religious component that comes to it. You know, like pretty much any war, if you look back on it, there's probably some aspect of religious disagreement. And that could be like a big reason why they're trying to kill one another. Like there's a funny scene in Big Mouth. <laughs> they're doing like a, a Jesus parody. What a show. Or whatever. Oh, it's a great shot. I love that show. <laughs> Um, and anyway, the, the Jesus baby is born and, and the, the J character in the flashback, he's one of the wise men. He's like, Oh, I love this baby so fucking much. We should kill anybody who does not praise and adore this fucking baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally how irrational it is though. Like boil it down to what it is. Like you're going to kill people over that. Cartoons are cool, man. Right. Because they, they make it like, oh, this is stupid. But then you have people who watch the cartoons that are like, oh, God's awesome. You know, right. or like, Jesus is the way to go. And yeah. it's just like, they can make fun of the TV show. It's like, that's not reality, though. It's like, no, that's exactly what's happening. They're that's, trying to make a point. <laughs> they, they know what they're doing. Yes. Yeah, this isn't just by happenstance. Right, right. Like, humorous moment, great. Yeah, all that hilarious. Take it one step further. It's like, they're, they're making a comment here. I get that it's fun if you want to see it just for comedic value, great, but like, there's more depth to it than, than just that. So you finally start getting, I guess, out of the religion, all the, the sequence of events kind of leads up to you being 23 and then making that decision to, <laughs> to leave. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a long time over, kind of like glazing over a lot there. But So I guess, I don't know if you want to talk about your time during, during uh, dental school and, and going through being still still in the religion to some degree at that point by the time i was in dental school that was when i went to new york i was pretty much out at that point okay yeah yeah for sure for sure i remember my freshman year there i was living in, in brooklyn and um my parents got in contact with like the local whoever the ward church was and they had like missionaries come over to my building and like try to like talk to me and just be like, Hey, we're here. You guys want to talk? And I, and I was just like, no, you can just leave me alone. You know? And so I was, I was out of it at that point. Didn't want to be mean. These kids are just doing what they have been told to do. You know, these are 18 year old boys out here just doing what their parents said, you know, like they, they don't really know, which is, <laughs> it makes me actually makes me really mad because that's such a formative time for your life. 18, 19, 20, 21, like that is a very developmental part of like the brain, the brain, right? And, and Mormon, they're, they're very smart. They know this. So they're going to take you during that moment and they are going to make you live every second of your life is for the church. BYU. But not, not just BYU, but mission, the, the Mormon missions that kids go on. I didn't do one because I wanted to get married so that I could have sex again. <laughs> <laughs> sex is nice man. <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah so, so I didn't do the, the Mormon mission because I was getting married at the age of 20 um, but one of my buddies my best friend growing up he did a mission in Taiwan um, and he said that during that two years you know he had never been closer to suicide in his entire life 
except for during that. And they, they've, again, they, they've kind of lightened it up a little bit, you know, back when, when he did his mission and say back when, back when my dad did his mission, um, they could only contact their family twice a year. So they could call their mom essentially on Mother's Day and on Christmas. Those were the two times that they could call. Um, you could email, you could write letters, you know, you could do that whenever you wanted to, but at least actually hearing their, their voices only twice a year. And the rationale is this is, you're focused, you are on your mission, you are in, you're not, you're not being distracted, doing all the other things. And like your life is scheduled down to the minute. Like you, you have a companion, you know, on your mission and they have rules. You cannot be out of sight of your companion. Even if you go to the bathroom, you have to be within earshot of your companion. You know, you, you, you have to be within sight at all times or earshot if you're taking a shower, going to bath, whatever, you know, wow. that's one of the rules. They wake up at six every day, six till six thirty. some exercise or scripture study. And it's like broken down. Like they, they do not have any control of their life for those two years. And it's all about the religion, teaching people about the religion and like, so of course, like once you do the mission, a lot of people stick after that. You know, they they got methods to make you stay in the religion, and the mission's a big part of it. Is a mission kind of like a Christian mission where you go to like another country and then you're you're building a church or whatever it may be, supporting the community in some sort of fashion? Um, not usually physical labor so much as from what I understand. I mean, they'll they'll like if if somebody in the ward has a big yard with a bunch of leaves and she's 80 years old, you know, their missionaries are going to go over there and help out, you know, but they're not like building churches per se that the more the church will pay for people to build the buildings. Um, they don't proselyte as much as they used to. Like Mormons would go come to your door and knock like the Jehovah's witness. They still do that, but not to the same degree. Um, a lot of what they're doing now is just like appointments. Someone from the church has a friend who is interested. So they make an appointment with the missionaries and they're going to come over and they're going to teach them a lesson. Um, yeah, like I said earlier too, they've softened some of those rules. So now the, the kids on the mission, they can like FaceTime their family whenever they want. So long as they have free time, it's not interrupting with their usual lessons or whatever else. That's nice. Probably should have just been the way that it was, <laughs> you know, like you're taking these 18 year old boys and girls, children, and, and putting them in another country, having them learn another language and then they can't communicate with their family for months on end. God damn. Like, <laughs> That's a stressful time. Stressful. Yes. So, um, do you, and how long is the mission? Two years, two years for, for men, uh, 18 months for women. Why different? I don't know. Just, just, just cause. Cause they could. Cause they can. Yeah. Also men, boys, whatever. They can go on their mission when they're 18 women, it's 19. And when do you go to school? Is it expected that you do your mission first and then you can go to school afterwards or yeah. is, is college in that? I don't know how, because I feel like this religion encompasses so much of life yeah. for people. Like, is it like you kind of go to school? Like that's kind of the thing to do mm -hmm. for sure. So if you're going to do your life according to like the Mormon timeline, you know, you would do your normal schooling up till you're 18, graduate from high school. When I was in this age group, um, men didn't go on their mission until the age of 19 and women not until 21. They changed it to make it 18 and 19 now. Um, so for my age, usually kids would go to college for one year. You know, they go to BYU, they do a year, now they're 19 years old, then they do their mission, then they come back, and then they finish out those last three years at BYU, right? A lot of kids now, since 18, they can just graduate high school and go straight to the mission and then come back and then just go straight into college for, for freshman year. I like that, honestly, just because it, there's no interruption in their education. 
Um, but yeah, I don't know why 18 months for the women. I'm not sure why. They say they start them later because boys mature slower, so it can help the men when they come back be more mature, ready to get married. I don't know. Like, I'm just trying to use my old Mormon brain to come up with the reasons why they might be doing these things. You know, like listening to the conversation and your perspective on them, I, it's just hard for me to see you as Mormon Nathan. It's a, a very different, I mean, it's still the same person, but like, like this me was always in there. Yeah. You know, it's just that like I was forcing myself to fit in a particular funnel or go along a trail that just wasn't the one that I wanted to be along, you know? Um, but right, like these thoughts, these doubts, they were always there. I've just finally allowed myself to acknowledge them and just be like, that doesn't make any sense. So I'm going to live my life in a way that makes sense. You know, like it's wildly refreshing knowing that I can live my life in a way where I'm like, I'm not doing anything irrational. Usually I'm doing things that make sense. And if things don't make sense, then I will think about it and make options or whatever that need to do to, to eradicate that. If you're in the religion and you have these doubts, is it frowned upon to go to like a therapist or a psychiatrist and get medication? Like, let's say there's people in there that share that same, those doubts. And then like, can, are they able to take antidepressants and and Xanax and things or not so much? There's yeah. Yeah. There's a fair amount. This might be a little bit of anti-Mormon rhetoric in my own head, but like I'm pretty sure the state of Utah has a pretty high usage of like antidepressants and things like that because there's a shit ton of these state. I mean, I, I don't want to be I'm not talking down to anybody. There's a lot of just stay-at-home Mormon moms who are at home with their six children, and that's the only thing they do any like, ever. Like that, that is their entire existence. So there's a fair amount of antidepressants going around because you can imagine like that's that's your entire fucking life. And for some people, that might be enough. They might love that. But when you're raised in it and that's like the expectation that you're going to just be that way, I don't know. You, you don't really get a choice. I feel know? like if you're in that moment, for whatever reason, I again, I'm, I'm not, I was never that involved with my religion. So I think it's hard to relate a little bit, but be able to just step away and say, no, I like, I'm not going to, like, this is not the life I want to live anymore because then you become ostracized. It's not taking the person who's not taking the the Eucharist in in the middle of church, but time is 10. Like you lose your family, you lose lose your friends, you Mm -hmm. lose, you lose a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's a, there's a tremendous amount of community and a lot of things that you had, I had to lose for a little while, you know, that shit comes back. They don't tell you that. You know, like once you leave a religion, you get that kind of ostracized feeling and like you lose that whole community. Um, Later on, once you kind of find yourself and you build a new community, but then also I can go back to some of those people that I knew from the church and I can still have that communal connection with them. But now there's a, there's a barrier, not like a barrier. There's a, like I, like I put up my boundary. Like I'm not going to be part of this entity anymore we can still be friends and i can have a very genuine relationship with a lot of those people still and it's a lot healthier now in my mind but there definitely was a good couple of years where you just you lose a lot of those connections you know including that my best friend cody you know for for a while i was out of the church and he was still in it and there was multiple different reasons why you know we were both kind of making those choices we never disliked one another but there still was a little bit of distance well i'm trying to pull him out of the church a little bit. <laughs> he's like trying to resist it, trying to stay in. Um, but yeah, he's out now, which is awesome. I and mean, he loves it, but 
and I remember we talked about your your grandfather. I think your your sister is seen by your grandfather as as um, not part of that community because of her own things. Is that the way that you're that you felt like with your own family, like leaving the church? Is it that kind of intensity? Like, oh, if you're if you're not part of this, then it's just like you're just out there now. I mean, a little bit. Some of that was probably more my own approach towards it. My family is still very much loving, you know, and, and I'm not ostracized from my family at all. Um, I kind of did it to myself for a time. It was just like I need to be away from all of this because I need to figure out what is in here, what is in me before I even allow any of that to come back in. So once I kind of had a better sense of who I was, then I unostracized myself kind of from the family. But I do know, I do know people um, who, you know, come out as, as gay and they are just completely cut off from their family and then from, from the church as well. And, and that played a, a decently significant role in why I left as well. I mentioned, you know, seeing Cassandra lose her personality because of the, the clothing and other things like that. And as well as not being able to use language like you normally want. Mormons don't cuss. I think I told you that. But we, you have your own cuss words. Gosh, freaking dang it. <laughs> <laughs> Just say fuck. Just say right. Or God fucking damn it. Like, you're so close. <laughs> you're so close. You might as well. Right. But my, my sister is lesbian and I got to see um, not only how I thought about her, but like the rest of the community thought about her. Because when, when she first came out as that, like I was young, I was still in high school, you know, I still had very much homophobic thoughts and, and, and whatever else that weren't really my own. It's just the way that I was raised and told to be. Because she had some boyfriends in high school that I knew that were like some really cool dudes. And in my mind, I was like, oh man, she just must have had some really shitty experiences with these guys, you know, and she's just, just done with guys now, so she's going to go be with girls. Like that, that, that was like the mindset that I'm going through. And that's obviously not the case. You know, you don't, you don't become a lesbian because you have shitty experiences with men. You are a lesbian because you're attracted to women. You know, it's not, <laughs> those are two different things. Yeah. But yeah, just seeing how people at the, at the church and even in the family and to this day will still make commentary, not directly. Um, like I mentioned to you, the, the comment that my grandpa made to her, um, just this last, how long, just over the summer at some point, it was someone's birthday. Anyway, she told me later that, that grandpa, he, he's a very loving person. He will look you directly in the eyes and he loves people, but he'll say things that just like aren't appropriate all the time. And, and what he said to her, looking right really close, is like, you know how important it is to, to be a mother, right? You know? And I'm like, you do know you're saying this to a lesbian woman, right? Who's also in her how old is she now? Early 30s. You know, like th there's a good chance that she never gets pregnant. And then, and you're, and you're gonna, that's how you're gonna try to start a conversation. That's the opener. That's the opener. And she just like, uh, okay, I'm out. Like, I, 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 think, <laughs> I think she just like left. Because obviously that's a sensitive issue, you know, and especially for Mormons, Catholics too, a lot of religions, like having children is a huge thing for them. They have big ass families. And just to be told that it's not nasty. He's not being like, you're a bad person because you're a dyke, you know, like he's not doing that, but it's like, it, it's a microaggression and, and having that over and over and over again. And this is when she was living with my parents too. So she was constantly dealing with little things like that every single day. It builds up and, and it just is evident 
to the fact that she's not part of that collective, right? And she's still, she's probably the one in the family that I would push the hardest to get out of the church. And I've tried, you know, not, not trying to make it, it's gotta be her choice. Obviously, like I can't force her to do anything that she doesn't want to do, but I very much encourage her to just be like, Melissa, you do not need, you don't need it. You don't need this religion. You don't need to be part of it. But she feels so much connection with it, with the family. It's going to be really hard for her to, to get out. Um, but I think if she was out kind of in the same way that I am, then the family, the family leaves me alone. They don't, they don't make that kind of commentary to me. It's different because I'm a man too. So there's not that same expectation, which is sexist, but that's also prevalent in a lot of religions. Um, like they're not coming up to me and talking about the importance of having children and the, the importance of being part of the church again. Like they just know that I'm not about it. So they, they mostly leave me alone. And I was like, listen, you can, you can achieve that level as well. They will leave you alone at least more than they do currently. Maybe not to the same extent, um, but it's hard. Um, cause she's had experiences as we all have, you know, that, that, appear miraculous, right? Things that are like, that could not have been a coincidence the way these things lined up. And, and I, and I don't deny those things. I've had those experiences myself, but for her, she has connected those with the religion and like, she thinks, or at least I'm making an assumption here, um, that if she left the religion and that would mean that she's taking away the, the meaning or the impactfulness of those experiences that she's had in the past. And it, it doesn't quite, work out like that. Maybe to some degree on some experiences, but definitely not all of them. I, I think that I, I can definitely relate a little bit and like leaving the, the church was like, oh my God, you're no longer blessed was like the idea. But for whatever reason, I my, my life continues to still be pretty good. My God, like you create your own luck in some sort of ways. And there are, there are a lot of things that are, that are built and, and that seem like they're not coincidence. And, and they're not. They're, they're, they're a combination of the right time at the right moment from a long time before me. It's like it, my, the last podcast I said that my grandparents moved to the States so that my parents could have a good career so that I could have be here. Like it's, and, and so they've created my luck for me as well. It's not coincidence. It all comes from something, but there is that feeling like, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm no longer blessed. Right. It's like, yeah. it's going to be go away. That's scary. Yeah. That was definitely a, a big part of the, the process of leaving was the fear of like not having direction, you know, like, and, and again, the religions do a really good job of they become your moral compass, right? So every, every moral decision that a Mormon's going to make, they are going to look at the church. What are the rules? What do we, what, you know, what, what, where do my morals lie? I'm going to look towards this external and I, I don't like that. You know, I, I feel so much better about who I am knowing that my morals are internal. You know, it's not an external entity telling me what to do. One thing I, I tell look, my sister and some other people too is like, when I was Mormon, I wasn't sure if I was a good person. You know, feel a lot of guilt. Oh, man, I made a mistake. I said, fuck, God damn it. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> I did it again. <laughs> Took the Lord's name in vain. You know, like constantly, constantly feeling guilt. And I, and I understand wanting to be better, right? Constantly wanting to better yourself, but it's different when it's like, I want to be better because I want to be better. 
not I want to be better because I was being bad. You know, it's a, it's a different approach. And now that I'm not part of the church, I know I'm a good person, right? Like there's no doubt in my mind that I am, a, I, I'm not a shithead. Do I make every right choice? Am I perfect? Absolutely not. But I know I'm a good person. Like I, that level of improved mentality from leaving the religion is exactly the opposite of what I thought it would be. You know, and people think like once you leave religion, you're going to be a bad, you're going to become this evil thing or have no moral compass. It's like, I actually became a better person. Do I drink coffee now? Do I drink alcohol? Do I smoke weed? Do I curse? Do I do all these things that you think are sins? Absolutely. <laughs> but I know that oh, none of that shit matters, right? Like that, that's, that's just for show. And that's, that's the thing that I don't like about the Mormon church. A lot of it is about show, right? Like, like you have to present your family as this perfectly cohesive unit and no one ever argues and we're all getting along and happy-go-lucky and this all sort of shit. And like, that's, that's great at times, but it's not real. Like, like we don't have real conversations among the family because if you want to have a real conversation, there's going to be disagreements and that's okay. That's great. Actually. I love it when I talk with someone where we can disagree, but still communicate and no one's getting their feelings hurt or anything like that. Hard to do that with my family. Because they, they all have to operate on the key to it. <laughs> they all have to operate on that same wavelength. And like everybody thinks exactly the same. And so when I go to family reunions, I'm often just pretty quiet. And I'm just like, I let them do their little powwow. And I just kind of sit there. That might change. I've been meaning to be more vocal around my family. Um, I just haven't been around them for, for months. But... Does it go out well if you start becoming more vocal? I haven't done it with like a large collection of the family. Um, mostly it's just been smaller, you know, just just my parents or just my siblings. And, and that's obviously fine. But I found that like since leaving the church, right, I don't usually have regret or guilt as much as I do or as much as I used to. Now I'll have that, that guilt or that regret if there's a moment where I – probably could have said something that maybe would have opened up a conversation, you know, and I didn't. And I, and I missed that opportunity. Those are the moments now where I'm like, damn it, like that. I could have done something. I could have maybe said something. And is that in general? Is, is that like, or is it specifically about religion? Are you having those feelings? Probably mostly about the, the religious conversations. Again, that's usually where the conversation lies with the family. Like there was a, the most recent example that I can think of was last Christmas. I was home. Um, and my, my aunt came by. She's also divorced. Um, one of very few people in my family who have gotten divorced. Um, and we were, they were talking about the, again, the Jesus story. And she wanted to take a pause on the moment and talk about like the significance of Mary being a virgin. Right. And she was like, this is so, so significant, so important that like her virginity uh, is why she was worthy. You know, that, that's, that's why she was worthy to, to, to do this. That's why God chose her is because she's a virgin and all that other stuff. And I was sitting there and I'm just like, again, I, I didn't say anything. That's, that's the regret that I have. If I could go back, I would have stopped or tried to like interrupt right then and there. Be like, hey, sorry, I, know, I don't mean to interrupt, but can I share like an opposing opinion here? Like, I know we don't really do that in this family, but like, can, I have to ask, can, can, I, can, I, I, give share? You, can I give you my thoughts for a second? Right. Because my, my thought is... And again, I'd have to like fabricate my thought to be a way where they would actually receive it. You know, grand scheme of thing, I don't think that that story is true. I don't think that 
a virgin gave birth to a child. I think that's that's fucking ludicrous. Like that, <laughs> that doesn't make that again does not compute. Has never happened in history. There's billions of examples of right. We have plenty of evidence as to why no one's ever been born of a virgin. Anyway, why hasn't it happened again? Right. Why is why is Mary's Bible or like you know Mary Mary has a, a chapter in the Bible that that's not released. Uh-huh. The the Catholic Church keeps Mary's writing her journal. Gospel? She has her own gospel. <sighs> that Mary does, and then Mary Magdalene. Mary well. Magdalene has her own. Mary Magdalene was apparently like she was a, a whore. Yeah, she was a yeah. There you go. I, I thought she was a slaughter whore. But <laughs> prostitutes <laughs> a lot nicer. Than, uh, she's for, a sex worker. She's a sex worker, and that's different than just. But, but either way. Um, why don't we get those stories? Like, why why are they hidden? And that, that's that's right? that frustrates me a lot. I don't I don't like things being hidden. I think that if if the truth is going to destroy something, then that thing deserves to be destroyed. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so the point that I would have made for that that Virgin Mary story, I would say, her being a virgin has nothing to do with her worthiness. Not at all. She has other traits, whatever qualities that are not spelled out for her, her own worthiness, you know, in terms of being, being chosen. The significance of her, her being a virgin points to that being a miracle, right? This has to be God's baby if she's a virgin giving birth to this, this child, right? That's the only reason that it's important. I think that if you profess, and, and Catholics do this too, they, they get very high on the, the Virgin Mary. Oh my God, oh, the Virgin. The virgin the Virgin. So then all of these women have this absurd concept in their, their mind that their value as a human being, their value as a woman, is tied to their virginity. As soon as they lose their virginity, their value plummets. And I know that that happens because I saw it happen with my ex-wife. We had sex. She, her, like, it, it, it's not the same as me. I'm like, you know. <laughs> um, but her, she's feeling shitty because she thinks that she has lost some, some worthiness, some value to her own self. And, and I know that this aunt of mine, very similar self-concept. Like, she does not have a very good um, perception of sex. Um, based on the way that she was raised and experiences that she's had and, and different stories I've picked up on from her, her kids and whatnot. Like she was not ready for a sexual relationship by the time she got married. Um, and, and I think that's very common among Mormons just because they don't have sex until they're married. So you don't know what you're getting into until you're there. Uh, it's so unfair. You have to like absurdly unfair that you have to start having sex with this person that you are now only able to have sex right? with. If you don't right. like it, then like, what do you know? That you, how do you know what you do and don't like? Right, right. And like, it's, it's, I've had great chemistry with people. Love them. Great friend. I can sit there and chat with her forever. The sexual chemistry is just not really there, right? Like that is, that is another form of chemistry. Sexual chemistry is different from, from other forms, in my opinion. And like, what if you have this awesome relationship with this person that you are great buddies with and then you get in the bedroom and it's just like... Eh, C, C minus, <laughs> right? Like you wouldn't even know though, because that's your first experience. So they don't even know what they want or what they like because they actually haven't gotten to try it out and experience it. And I'm like, I remember growing up, my, my dad, when I was approaching dating age or whatever, he was like, it's really important for you to, you know, date a bunch of different girls. You know, it's kind of like going to uh, Baskin Robbins, you know, you, you don't really know what flavor you like until you try out a couple different flavors, right? Cool, and you're done. Right, and I'm like, that that's really cool. And now looking back, I'm like, I would say the exact same thing for sex. 
you don't really know what you like until you've tried. And like, I think the, the Mormon view or maybe the Catholic view of sex too is, is very narrow where sex is just sex, missionary, get in there, whatever. It's going to feel good, have fun, reproduce children. And I'm like, there is so much more to it than that. It is wildly complicated. It is so much fun, but it is wildly complicated. And like trying to make it just that one person and you've never had sex with them before. And this is your first time after you get married, like so much pressure. Unfortunately, like, my experience was, I didn't even get that talk from my dad. It wasn't like, oh, date multiple people and have sex. It, we never talked about it. Sex was never discussed until I told my mom, um, I think I got this girl pregnant at 16 years old. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, she hasn't had her period. I don't know what now. And she's like, wait, you're having sex? And I was like, I know. Yeah. Yep. Figured it out. Sorry. Like, I, I, I mean, 16? Probably should have had the birds and the bees talk years before that. <laughs> the, I remember vividly being in high school and my my mom was like, aren't you going to have the birds and the bees talk with him? Yeah. And the birds and the bees talk my dad had was no pinky in the winky. <laughs> and that was it. And I was like, ha, 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 what the fuck is he talking about? Like, you have sex pinky? And he used his pinky and like, <laughs> like, what does that mean to a kid who's never been exposed to something no. before? Like, that's not that's not fair. Like, that's not like it puts Sue so behind in the sexual realm, and then you get there and you just it's it's nerve. You're, you're nervous. You don't know what to do. There's gonna be mistakes. I, I I am not circumcised, and the first time that I had one of the first times I had sex, I that that skin underneath ended up ripping off, not ripping off, but like tearing and bleeding everywhere. I was like, I don't know what the, what the fuck do I do? Just like, but I can't tell mom. I can't tell dad. Um, can't go to the doctor because I can't. You know, Sworn probably would have been a good thing to place. <laughs> but I was just like, I gotta hide this. Like, I can't tell anybody. Shame, shame. It, it was, and yeah, it was like the, the, even masturbating. It was like I can't tell anybody about this. This right. is this is the wrong thing to do. And I, I was like, you get you get caught, right? And then you're like. I got caught trying to get a lot of my dad had a lot of like a stack of fucking magazines in his closet and I found the magazines and it was <laughs> the best thing. Um, but I remember like trying, I, I would get like the entire stack down because I wanted to see all, I wanted to like sit there. Yeah. I wanted to see all yeah. of it. I wanted to like go through, I don't want to watch. I Every next picture is more exciting. Exactly. <laughs> and like, Oh, but I really like that one. And then I really like that one. And then, and my mom walked in when I would close that door <laughs> and my mom walked in as I'm like, I walked into the restaurant, yeah. caught and I had it, and I was like, "Well, I'm already caught. My was just fucking sitting here for a little bit, yeah. and so sure, I just you know had my fun, and then walked out. My mom was like, "You got to talk to your dad," and my dad was like, "We're just gonna put him upstairs in the attic," and then that was it. Problem solved. Yeah, and then and I was like, "I know where the attic is." Yeah. Like, <laughs> so now I'm just masturbating in the attic, and it's hot, and I'm sweaty. Like, <laughs> okay, wait. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was the worst, and I just wish that. I would have had more conversation about having sex. Like they just, why? Like let's just talk about it more. Like it's going to be okay. Like this is a normal piece of it. But I'm sure that they didn't have those conversations. Right, hundred percent. Like, and so they're just they're doing what they're taught. They're product of what how they were raised. Yeah, that's always the hard part when I like go further back. You know, I'm like, what the fuck are you guys thinking? And then I'm like, oh, my grandparents were your parents. Okay, I get it now. Like, I can understand. You were raised by them. Shit, okay. 
Uh, I talked to my grandma just not so long ago. I was like, so what was it like, like when you were drinking, like back in like your younger days? And she's like, I don't know what getting drunk is. I was like, same. that would be the same for my family. Okay. Why? It's like, because it just was never an option. It was always a no. And I was like, that's just such a weird concept. That's, that's hard to think about. Like, it's always like, since I was, when I had my first beer and I was way too young. I started getting drunk 16, 17 years old, you know, like, right. Probably even before that, probably 15, 16, because I'm a little bit younger. So, sophomore, junior, sophomore year, whatever it may have been. Um, I started drinking super early and was like, well, like, do you, like, what did you do as a person? Nothing. I didn't really want to do anything. It's like, yeah. That's kind of sad. It's kind of weird. That's like my mom's upbringing when she tells stories about her as a kid. She was raised in Burley, Idaho, tiny ass little town. There might be a couple thousand people there. Like her most uh, risky story or some shit that she can say is like one time we snuck onto a graveyard after dark and I was like, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Did y'all have fun? <laughs> See some ghosts? <laughs> that's it. It's like, wow, you lived a very exciting childhood. But it was, it was also kind of like farm life and different things like that. But at 16 years old, I went to a, a graveyard and had sex in the middle of school. Like, yeah, no, that's my experience with I the guarantee graveyard. guarantee it was not the same as my mom's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, the, we, the graveyard back in Monte Alto, um, the, the cemetery, they would, people would just go and they, that's where the fights were. Like okay. if you went to if you went to the cemeteries, like I'll meet you at the cemetery after school, bro. Fight to the death. And then it's like people get fucking like shanked out there. People are fucking just fighting. A lot of drug use. That that was just the place to go, the, the cemetery for whatever reason. But at not at night. At night it was a it, it was a uh, or at least in, from my perspective, it, at night it was like it was haunted. And so yeah. you don't, I don't want to fucking go around haunted places. I'm gonna stay home. Fuck that. I'm gonna go to a buddy's house. What the fuck are we doing? Your dad had the same kind of similar upbringing. Was he also from a small town? Similar-ish. No, he was... They were in Utah and Texas and Oregon, so they kind of moved around, but it was mostly in Oregon. At um, So my grandpa, he's an orthodontist, but he also had a farm. So they had their own like farmland, and it was very much... I mean, they didn't have like pigs, but they had cows, and they had chickens, and they had a big field of hay, so they're bucking hay, and a big garden, and I got to grow up doing all this other shit, too. It was a pretty cool experience, honestly. So that was more so his like farm life experience. Um, like I, I think I told you, he told us as kids that he like tried one beer once in high school, took one drag of a cigarette once in high school. That was his rebelliousness. Um, you know, beyond that, according to him, didn't do anything else. But my, my dad definitely has rebelliousness in his spirit. Like that is part of him. He's very similar to my brother and my brother had a pretty wild more wild childhood you know he's been arrested and shit like that and like my dad i know he feels kind of trapped kind of bottled down but i think it's been that way for so long he does not trust himself without his chains you know like without without the shit tying him down i think that he thinks he would be a like a rampage out of control you know kind of like you lose that sense of direction and you think you're going to be this horrible person and i'm like you just you would have so much more freedom and, and I think you'd be so much happier. You might be a little bit more of an asshole, but like, <laughs> if it makes it happier. It, at right, the end of the day, it's if, his life. He's gonna die. If it's more you know? genuine, if that's how you genuinely are, I would rather see you be an asshole than try to bottle up everything and your face get all red because you're trying to push against these chains. And you know, he 
he has a lot of, of energy for life and all these other, you know, great energies and things that we've learned from him. But, and then occasionally he slips, you know, he slips out of that, that chain and he's had experiences with infidelity and things like that. I don't know to what extent, but you know, he's had issues with, with stuff like that because he's been that, that bottled down for such a long time. And I don't think ever got to have that experience. Um, like I think we've talked about, I think it was a friend of yours who said his girlfriend was bi and she would just bring other girls. So they would have three ways all the time. And he just felt like he was just a dildo yeah. just being messed with. Right. But at least he's getting to have all of these experiences. So then you, you know, you like, once you have the experience, you know, you never have the experience. You have no clue. You don't know if you really like it or if you really don't. Right. Right. And, and you'll be better off after you've had the experience. You'd be like, you know, I, I really wasn't a fan of just being tossed around like this, you know, some people may love that experience, may be great for him. But when you, cause he, he very much did the Mormon pathway, you know? So he, at the age of 18, he went to college in Idaho, I think for a year, then did his mission in, in Texas, learned to speak Spanish, came back a year and a half later or so, got engaged to my mom. And then they started having kids like right away. So I was born when he was in dental school. I was his third kid. And then he had my brother right before graduating dental school. So same age as me when I was graduating dental school, he had all four of his kids already. Damn. Yeah. So they, they, they did the, the path according to, you know, how Mormons tell you to do it. And, and it, it's, it's worked out. I don't think that they are unhappy people. I just think that they're, they've chained themselves down, you know, and I don't know. I hope, I hope they end up being happy with, with their lives, you know, in the end. And, and maybe for my dad, it maybe did prevent him from making some stupid choices. You know, my brother did do a stint in jail. But like, my dad never had to do anything like that. Maybe he would have if he did let himself cut loose. But my brother's doing pretty well, you know, and he's had those experiences and he's kind of learned some shit about himself. And and I'd say he's probably in a better position than, than my dad was, you know, to, to be settled and to be more aware of who he is. Um but then he's also still trying to be part of the church. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think he, he does it for his wife. I think my little brother, because we'll, we'll talk all kinds of bullshit about the church. And he's like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. This shit's trash. Smith is a bad person and all this other stuff. And I was like, I don't know if you're just agreeing with me to agree with me, or if that's actually how you think. And you just, you and Jasmine, that's his wife. Just, you know, don't really talk about those things or you're just okay with her being part of the church and you're going to play along. I don't know. Cause he also was getting like calling because in the church you get callings, you get like a responsibility, right? So there's no pastor like the Catholic church. That's like always the pastor. Somebody from the congregation will be the bishop, right? And they're the bishop for, I don't know, a year and a half, two years, sometimes longer. And then they'll have turnover. They'll get a new bishop to somebody else from the congregation. So my brother, he's part of, they don't have like a, a single pastor. They got the bishop and the first counselor and the second counselor. So they got like three people in charge. He was the first counselor in his like ward. So that's, that's a fairly like up there calling, fairly involved. But like I said, whenever I'm with him, we'll, we'll drink beer, we'll smoke weed, we'll talk shit. He doesn't matter. language, whatever the fuck, he doesn't care around me. And like, I feel like that's him being his genuine self. I hope, like, I hope he's not just doing that just to pander to me and how I come across, but I, I don't think so. Um, just cause I don't, I don't think I bring any sort of expectation to the table for how people should be. Yeah, I don't think so. You can just be whoever you want. So if you want to drink, you want to be great. 
do it. Fine. So, so I think he's being more genuine. Um, long term, I hope it's not an issue for him. You know, I, I, I think that him and Jasmine love each other. Um, and, and they're, they're having a kid in here in February. So I don't think he's unhappy. I hope that those aren't like things that are bottled down that might come up later on. I don't know. You know, only time will tell. Only time will tell. So we're going to, you're going to end off here in the next couple minutes. Um, and I, so there's a podcast. I'm going to, I'm going to mention this at like probably for the next, like, I don't know, several podcasts before I just, it becomes a thing. Um, whiskey ginger podcast it's it's uh andrew santino he does this thing at the end of uh his podcast you can do a one word or one phrase to end off the podcast and then that one word or one phrase will be the last thing that's said i don't necessarily want to leave it to one word or one phrase i want to give you your next opportunity to talk whatever you want to leave off with i think mm-hmm. you mean, hopefully you come back but um for today just whatever notes feelings ideas that you would like to to leave off with whoever's listening it's kind of a lot of pressure, <laughs> right? One phrase. I'll, I'll think of a positive one. The first one that popped into my head was "fuck Mormonism." I'm not going to leave it off with that. That's <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, let's hit it. And, oh man, probably the, the the ultimate thing that I've I've learned from the experience going through religion and 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 finding myself is. Um, you know, trust yourself. You have a brain that works. If things don't make sense, you're having doubts, talk to people, have conversation, delve into those doubts. Don't be afraid of them. And then, and then trust yourself. Thank you for listening to the Ben Navarro's podcast. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, and all other major podcast hosting platforms. Be sure to leave us a five-star review on iTunes.